Well, I want you to open your Bible, if you will, this morning, the book of 2 Peter. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to be reading a verse or two in 2 Peter from the New Living Translation. And uh, then I'll, after I read it, I'll have part of what I read put on the screen. And you, of course, have whatever translation you have. And then after we do that, we'll move over in the book of Romans. And uh, we'll be in our New King James Version, which is the Bible in the pew rack in front of you and the Bible that many of you have. You know, I spoke at the... First Baptist Christian Academy graduation, the pastor of the church always speaks at the school graduation. And uh, this year I began my little brief message at graduation telling a story that I want to repeat this morning because it, it fits what I want to talk to you about this morning. The story is about a man named William Randolph Hearst. Now that name may or may not ring a bell, but he was a 20th century very wealthy uh, newspaper publisher. Not only that, um, William Randolph Hearst had interest in most newspapers in uh, the major cities in the United States back in that period of time. He, in addition, was an avid art collector. He had, he, he had enormous amount of money and he could just about purchase any art he wanted to purchase. And one day he was reading through some material he had gotten and he saw some pictures of some pieces of art that he wanted to add to his collection. And so he instructed his agent to locate the art and purchase the art, no matter what it cost, and put it along with his other art collections in his warehouse. Well, two or three weeks went by and he received a telegram from his agent saying, I have located the pieces of art that you wanted. And where I found them was, I found them in your warehouse, along with all the other art pieces that you have. In other words, he already possessed what he wanted, or at least he possessed what he thought he needed. Now, when I read that little story, I thought, you know, the Christian life is very much that way. The fact of the matter is, we as Christians, you as a Christian person, you have, you possess already everything you need to live a godly, victorious, happy Christian life. Now, if you've opened your Bible to the book of 2 Peter, Peter, this is his last letter that he wrote. Very shortly, he would be crucified, tradition tells us. But he wrote this letter to Christians who had uh, been scattered over the then known part of the Roman world because of their, they were being persecuted. They were just having a lot of difficult times. And he wrote them to encourage them. And in Second Peter, in chapter one, I'm going to begin reading in verse number two out of the New Living Translation. He wrote, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. By his divine power, now watch this. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, I want them to put that little part up on the screen and let's look at that verse again. Look at that again. By God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. If you have the New King James, it says all things. The New Living Translation says everything. Now, you think about what that verse is saying that God has given you everything you need 
to live a godly life, which would include living a victorious life. It would include living a happy life. So when you trusted Jesus, that's one of the things that happened to you. God gave you everything you're going to need all of your life to live a godly, victorious, happy Christian life. Now, that being said, if you have a bulletin, we're going to pick up at that point this morning. And I want us to understand, first of all, when you become a Christian, you have the power of God within you. Now, you think about that a moment. When you ever made your decision to trust Jesus Christ, at that moment, the power of God, that is the Holy Spirit, came to literally indwell you to live in you. Now, if you'll open your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter number eight, I want us to see some verses very quickly this morning. Romans chapter number eight. Look with me in verse number nine. The Bible says, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you're a Bible underliner, you ought to underline those three words, dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Now turn over a few pages to the book of 1 Corinthians. It'll not be many pages in your Bible. And turn over in 1 Corinthians chapter number three. 1 Corinthians chapter three, look in verse 16. The Bible says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? There it is again. When you become a believer, the very spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Now you're in 1 Corinthians, turn over in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Now, one other little verse. Turn back in the book of Acts, the very first chapter in the book of Acts. In chapter number 1, down in verse 8, we see the recorded last words Jesus spoke before he ascended back to the Father in heaven. And here's what Jesus said. He said, you shall receive power. Underline that at least in your mind. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then we are very familiar with this part. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the end of the earth. Now that's what we are to do. And we do it because we have this power lived in us. But look at that. Jesus said, you're going to receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And they did. And so did you. And so did I. Now this word power, P-O-W-E-R, in our English Bibles, is a translation of a Greek word, dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. And that word dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. You know, dynamite is powerful. Dynamite can just literally destroy large buildings. In person or perhaps on TV, we've seen huge structures for whatever reason that needed to be taken down. And companies know how to do that. And they go and put dynamite in specific places and in a very 
appointed time, that dynamite will be ignited and that building just kind of goes up in the smoke and falls to the ground. That's how powerful dynamite is. But now think about this. Dynamite can't raise the dead. But the power of God did that in the resurrection. And that power lives inside of you. And that power lives inside of me. The moment you made your decision to trust Jesus, what happened? The Holy Spirit of God came to live in you. And you possess the very power of God. We don't think much about that. People tend to think about their own strength, their own power, their own personality, their own position. Uh, You know, well, all of that will take you to a certain point. But there are times in life where all of that won't get the job done. But you have one in you who gets the job done, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let let me illustrate that because, you know, many times in a Christian's life, probably in all of our lives, we know we're Christian. We've made that decision. We've settled that. But sometimes we feel spiritually like there's an outage. We feel like spiritually parched, spiritually dry. I'll not ask any hands to be raised, but if I did and we were all honest, most all of us would say there have been times in my life, you may be in one of those times at this moment. You're a Christian, but you just, you don't, you don't feel any power. You feel like you're out in a spiritual desert. Now, the question is this, how can the Holy Spirit of God, how can the power of God live in us and we ever feel spiritually parched, spiritually dry? Well, let me illustrate how, how that can happen this way. Most all of us remember the freeze last year. Could I have an amen to that? Let's pray that would be the first and the last we ever have. Well, after the freeze, when that all ended, Dottie and I had a family meeting. Well, we really didn't have a family meeting because all the family was not invited. The only people that came to this family meeting was me and Dottie. You, you say, well, why didn't you invite John and Joel? They're part of the family, and Jody's part of the family. Well, because we were going to make a decision that would all come out of their inheritance. And we felt like we would do better with their absence. Do you get the point? We made a decision. We are buying a generator. We're not going to live like this ever again. And we bought one. In fact, I have a picture. There it is. There is that generator. And I want to say to you, I hope we don't have another freeze. I hope we don't have a power outage. But if we do, you're welcome to come to our home. Now, let me say this. When you come, we'll have a big basket, and you'd want to put some money in that basket to kind of help pay for that generator, okay? But see, here's the deal. If we lose our power now, and we have had one little Oh, it, would, it didn't last two minutes, a little click one day, and the house, all the power went out, and about, about 10 seconds, that thing kicked on, and everything came back on in the house. So see, that's, that generator is our backup plan. 
Our main plan is, you know, the generator need not come on. I hope the generator never has to come on. But be that as it may, we have the generators, our backup plan. Now listen carefully. Here's what I believe with all my heart. If we're not careful, and many have really been suckered into this, many people who say they're Christians, and I pray they are, they live their life, and they do whatever they want to do. They go wherever they want to go. They pick and choose in the Bible what they will and will not obey. It's kind of their life. And they seem to do well. But then, one day, a storm comes to their life. The lights go out in their life. And you know what? They turn to God. Now, they may not understand, but they're using God as their backup plan. Folks, hear me this morning. God is not only... God's not a backup source of energy. God is the only source of energy and power. And I encourage you, you know, when, when all is going well, we don't think much about it, really. I mean, we can handle most things in life, but, the, but here's the deal. Life's not always going to go well. Jesus said, in this world, you will have some tribulations and problems. Things are going to happen. And the longer you live more things are going to happen. That just makes sense. And when they do, here's, here's the good news. You have the power of God living in you to do through you and help you that is beyond anything in this world. You already have what you need within to live a godly, victorious, happy life. And that is a blessing. But let me tell you a second thing you have. When you become a Christian, you not only have the power of God within, you have the promises of God to assure you. The promises of God. You know, the promises of God, they're stored kind of in the vault of Scripture. There are thousands upon thousands of promises of God in the Bible. You know, I read different numbers. I read some books that say there's 7,000. I read some that say there are 8,000. I saw in one book the other day about an author that is a great Bible student, and he was quoting another person saying that there are 30,000 promises in the Bible. Well, there are only 31,101 verses in the Bible, so I, I don't know if there's 30,000, but I do know this. There are thousands. In fact, if you want to read the one book in the Bible, the most promises, the book of Isaiah has over 1,000 promises in the book. If you say, well, that's too much to read. Okay, if you want to read the chapter in the Bible that has more promises than any other chapter in the Bible, read Psalm 37. It is almost every verse, not every, but almost every verse is a promise from God. Now, some of the promises of God are explicit. In other words, one of God's promises be God says, I'll meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's just an explicit Bible promise. Now, there are other promises in the Bible that are implicit. They're not written in the form of a promise, yet they are a promise. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 18, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, God is faithful. Now, that's not a promise. That is just a statement of fact. 
But now think about that. If God is faithful, and he is, then that means he's going to be faithful to you. He's going to be faithful to me. So in that way, it's a promise. Many of the prayers in the Bible, even though they're not written in the form of a promise, they are a promise. A good example, we were Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. And he said, you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that's not an explicit promise. But when you think about what Jesus is saying, it really is a promise. We can trust God to give us the needs that we have, whatever they are, through that day. I think about that command over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that says, rejoice always. Now, that's certainly not uh, an explicit Bible promise. But if you think about it a moment, if you trust God, he gives you, he enables you to, to rejoice no matter what circumstances you're going through in life. So the Bible is just filled with promise after promise after promise. And one of the beautiful things that I like in Psalm chapter 18, verse 30, it says, every promise of God proves true. And I'm encouraging you, listen, you have something that will really help you in life. And here's what it is. You have the promises of God. The number is just endless that will uh, assure you and give you encouragement and comfort and help. Now, the key is to know these promises. And the way to know the promises is to memorize Bible promises. Memorize Bible promises. Because these promises are like weapons that God gives us to help us in those times when Satan is trying to discourage us or defeat us or even destroy us. What do we have? We have the weapons of these promises of God. But if we don't know them, but if you just already have them committed, now we're not going to be able to memorize every Bible promise in the whole Bible, but we can, we can grab hold of what we can grab hold. Now, here's what I'm going to ask us to do. And I know before I ask, everybody's not going to do this. But there's nothing new about that. Whatever I ask Christian people to do from the Bible, everybody's not going to do it. But I'm not going to lower the standards for those who are not going to do I'm just going to hold the standard up and say, at least consider this. I want us to think about, here we are in June. There are 12 weeks in June, July, and August. And I was thinking this week, if we would memorize one Bible promise a week for 12 weeks, in addition to those you already know, but 12, we would at least have 12 weapons to help us whatever comes our way. Now, here's how I plan to go about doing this. Today, I'm going to ask you to join all of you together, and we'll let this be the week one Bible promise. And it's John chapter 6, verse 47. And here it is. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now, Next week in the bulletin, you'll see a thing, Bible promises, and it'll say John 6, 47. And then next week, I'll, I'll, I'll suggest another, and the next week, another, next week. Now, you may prefer to build your own list, okay? But I'm asking all of us at least to do this. Let's start with John 6, 47. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Because if you don't believe in him, you say, what do you mean believe in him to have everlasting life? That means you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. You say, well, where else could people put it? Well, let me tell you where else people do put it. Many put it in good works. Many put it in church membership. Many put it in baptism. Many put it in living a good life. Many put it in giving money to help people or whatever the list may be. The only way to have everlasting life is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his atoning work on Calvary's cross. And that's what he said in this promise. He said, most assuredly, I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now that's promise week one. And you can build on that however you choose or you go the journey I'll suggest each week in the bulletin for 12 weeks. Now, here, here's the real question this morning. In your, in your Christian journey, can you remember times that you have just really felt the power of God within you during different storms, different things in your life? You know, I was thinking about that even between services. I thought, you know... If a person says, I'm a Christian, and they can't ever even remember a time where they felt the power of God within them, I'm just going to have to conclude the power of God's not in them. You, you, you can't live your whole Christian life and never experience the realness of the power of God. In fact, the Bible said in Romans 8, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you're not His. I'm asking you this morning, very simply, has there been a time in your life where you've taken Jesus up on that promise? Assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, where you've ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to transfer faith in myself I'm going to transfer that over to you and what you've done. I'm going to trust your shed blood to wash away my sins and make me a Christian. Now, I did that as a little boy. My question is, when did you do that? You don't have to remember the day, date, and hour, but you would certainly remember an experience. I well remember the experience. And if you're saved, you, you remember the experience. Now, when that happened, here's what happened to you. The power of God, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. And all the promises of God, they are now activated for you. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to help you apply these and appropriate these to your life. I read a statement recently in David Jeremiah's little daily devotion book that, that I'd heard this before, but I thought it was very good. It said, we need to be reminded God has no grandchildren. You cannot be a Christian because your mother was one or your daddy was one or your grandfather, your grandmother. Mm -mm. God has no grandchildren. God only has children. Could I have an amen to that? The question this morning is, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're one of those children? And if you don't, here's the good news. This morning, 
you're going to have an opportunity to settle that. You're going to be able to leave church today and say, you know what? <laughs> this is the best church service I've went to in my life. I have settled my salvation. I'm a child of God. I have the power of God living within me. I have the promises of God to assure me. And whatever comes in life, I have help beyond myself. And it's the greatest thing in all this world. So I want you to bow with me this morning, our heads bowed and hearts open to the Lord. Now, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching this morning, I'm going to ask those that say, you know, Pastor, I, I know that I need to make my decision for Jesus. There's no question about that. I believe in God. I believe in heaven. I believe the Bible is the word of God. But, but the truth is, I know I've never really had a personal experience for the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, you're going to have that opportunity to do that. Others of you today would say, Pastor, you know, that's one of those things I just struggle with from time to time. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure. And I want to be. Well, my word to you this morning is, you can be. You pick the right day to come to church. You pick the right sermon to listen. So this morning, if you know that you need to trust Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then after that, I'm going to lead those that say, I need to settle my salvation in a prayer. And I, I, in your heart or either out loud, you can repeat the prayer after me, however you feel best. You're not praying to me, you're praying to God. And God knows your heart. God will hear your prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I admit this morning I'm a sinner. And I want you to be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm now one of your children. In your name I pray. Then for those that would say, Pastor, this probably is the most of people in the room, perhaps listening. There's so many who say, I'm just not 100% sure on this. Well, I'm telling you this morning, you can handle that. Just say, Lord Jesus, I think I'm saved. I'm almost 100%, but I want to be 100%. So this morning, I'm settling my salvation. I'm asking you this moment, if I've never done so, I do so now. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. I thank you, Jesus. Today I've settled my salvation. I thank you now that I understand I have your power within me. I have your promises to assure me. Thank you for the peace that I have today. In your name, I pray.